welcome to the Champs App Podcast, where we help players and parents demystify the world of minor hockey development and recruiting for both girls and boys. On this episode, I talk with Chris Baudo, head coach of the Nazareth College Golden Flyers women's hockey team. We talk about player leadership, the hockey development of one of the best players in hockey today, and the Division Three recruiting process. This was an outstanding conversation with Chris, so I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Before we get to today's amazing episode, I wanted to talk to you about the app part of Champs app. Did you know that there are over 30 NCAA coaches with Champs app profiles that you can connect with directly? These include coaches from every D1 conference. Champs app lets you create a free, beautiful online hockey resume to share with coaches, teams, and players. Your profile includes all the information coaches want to know to help decide if you are a player they want to keep on their recruiting radar. When you connect with coaches, they will receive automatic updates when you change your profile, add game or video, or alert them to upcoming games on your schedule. Just go to champs.app and click the sign up button to start your profile. You can check out the full list of the NCAA coaches using Champs app by clicking on the links in the show notes. I'm very excited to have on the podcast Chris Baudo, who is the head coach of the Nazareth College Golden Flyers women's hockey team. Hailing from Buffalo, New York, Chris played college hockey at Hamilton College, where he was the captain in his senior year. He went on to coach boys prep hockey for 13 years at the Gunnery in Connecticut before recruiting and coaching the first 16U girls team for Bishop Carney Selects in Rochester, New York in 2016. In 2018, he then became the first head coach for the Nazareth Golden Flyers women's program and has led them to an over 800 winning percentage, one UCHC title, and an NCAA tournament berth during the last four seasons. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Excited to be here. Hey, did I get all that right in your intro? Was that You did. That yeah, you did. Yeah, thanks. Okay. I appreciate you uh, doing the research on that. Thanks. Cool. So um, like we do all our guests, why don't we start with learning a little bit about your hockey history and what uh, what your love of the game, how it all started as a kid in Buffalo. Yeah, for sure. So uh, as you said, I'm from Buffalo originally. Um, have an older brother who, who played. And so I was around the rink as a kid a lot. And uh, my dad was involved uh, at the at the youth level uh, within the organization. And so, you know, hockey uh, became really part of our family, right? Like Sabres uh, season ticket holders. Uh, we were always around it. And, and for me, it didn't start until late, though. You know, I, I, I think I tried a few times uh, and, you know, started and stopped. And probably around eight, age nine or 10, you know, I picked it up and, and stuck with it. And so, you know, played locally uh, a team called the Wheatfield Blades growing up. Uh, and then after, after our band major year, I uh, was fortunate to make a, a junior team uh, out of Buffalo uh, called the Niagara Scenic, now the Buffalo Junior Sabres. And it was a really cool experience, you know, had the opportunity to play with, you know, some really good players. Uh, Brian Gianta was on our team. A kid Jeff Farkas went to Boston College, was a, an NHL draft pick. And, you know, the list goes on of, of really good players that we had there. And then it was a little bit of a different time. So, you know, I was 17, graduated from high school and went right on to college. Um, it was, there wasn't as much of the play junior until you're 20, 21, uh, as there is now. What just wasn't part of the culture as much. And so went off to Hamilton. Ask you a couple uh, questions before you yeah. get to Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. So a couple of things. One, um, you said you had a couple of starts and stops in terms of your hockey development and, yeah. and, and interest. I was wondering, do you think that impacted, you know, your potential of, you know, um, you know, making it to the pros kind of a thing? Yeah. I tell my wife it did, but I don't know if it did. Um, you know, to be, to be uh, more serious in the answer there, 
Uh, I really, I don't think it did because I think with, with youth hockey and I see it with my own kids now who are 11, you know, the want has to be there, right? Like the drive has to be there. So, you know, potentially just from like a, a practically speaking perspective, yeah, more time on the ice if I would start earlier or stuck with it. Certainly you would think that, you know, skills would, would be more advanced as I went on and, uh, and more advanced at the higher levels. But at the same time, you know, I, I don't think I was invested as I needed to be at that age. And so, um, so yeah, I think practically skills could have developed more, but, you know, as I see with my own kids, like they need to want to do it, right? Like it can't be me driving them. Yeah. And, and also kind of from what I understand is you may have lost some of that passion for hockey while you were in juniors is, is, and that it got rekindled in college. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, a, a little bit, like, I think that, uh, you know, you, I loved my junior experience. It was incredible, but going to college playing uh, under Phil Grady was our head coach. He'd been there forever. Kind of style of play that we played was like, it was really compete oriented, hard nosed, you know, back then it was a different game, but like finish all your checks, be tough, so on. And that like that fit the way I played. And so there was a rekindling of just like energy and enjoyment because the style that, that I think fit me also fit the the college that I was fortunate to attend. And, uh, and that was great. And, and, you know, in life, right, whether it's your job or, or whether it's in school or in hockey, uh, I was really fortunate to, to find success. And so finding success and being given more responsibility, you know, clearly you're going to enjoy that more in terms of your, your fire and your passion and your love of what you're doing. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's pretty accurate. Gotcha. And so at Hamilton College, um, you you actually generated lots of points from what I saw. You know, I think it was about 0.75 points per game, roughly speaking, somewhere between there, there and one. And you were a captain in your senior year. So what made you captain material uh, at Hamilton? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I've never really asked any any of my you know best friends, teammates uh, about it. But I think I would hope that, you know, a couple of things. One, um, I had a really impactful conversation with my junior coach, second year junior, we had just transitioned from the, the Eastern Junior League up in uh, New England to the Metro Toronto League, which I think is now the OJ. And it was a, a really slow start for me. You know, I, I just wasn't producing, you know, I, I just wasn't effective or as effective as I needed to be. And he brought me in and he said, you know, you're, you're really quiet. Like you, you, need to, you need to bring more energy to what you're doing, you know, both like on the bench, on, in the locker room, and we think it'll translate to on the ice. So, you know, at that point, I'm not doing well, so I'm up for anything. And uh, and I tried to kind of follow through on that. And it worked. Like, I found real success, and and it became part of my identity. So what's my point? My point is I think when I got to Hamilton, you know, part of my uh, my identity, even as a freshman, was to, to be vocal, to be positive, to to talk on the bench, to to not necessarily like talk in the room. I wasn't like a rah-rah guy, but just, like, really be be engaged in what we were doing, practice and games. Uh, and then I, I guess I would hope that, you know, uh, consistency wise, I hope I was relied on, to be honest with you. And that's what made me, you know, a leader down the road was, you know, compete level, hard work, 200 feet, four check, back check, finish checks, get to the net, all that stuff. You know, hopefully that was part of what that reliability is part of what uh, my teammates saw in me as, as a captain. Um, and, and I think, you know, uh, I look back on it, to be honest, I was I was 21 years old. I probably could have done a lot more and and been a lot more effective as a leader and a captain. But, you know, at the time, it was much, very much like a try to lead by example, 
you know, on and off the ice, weight room, community, practice that I hope got me to that point. Wow. Okay. So, but, but you've thought about this, at least in terms of like what, you know, what you're looking for in terms of leadership and captaincy, uh, probably even as a coach. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think when you become a coach, right, you, you self-evaluate a lot in terms of your yeah. own experiences and, and what you know. And, uh, and so I try to look at, you know, foundationally, I do think like leading by example, your compete level, your work ethic, your preparation, your care factor, those things have to be there. But then I try to look at the areas where I was deficient and understand that when we're putting together at Nazareth, like a leadership team, our captains and just our leadership team that we try to create throughout the year of sophomores, juniors, uh, you know, maybe a freshman, um, how do they all fit together as one, one puzzle of leadership? Because in the end, we want leaders who connect with all the players within the locker room, right? They, they feel like there's someone that they can approach as a team member with, you know, concern, issue, or just connectedness. So, yeah, I think uh, as a coach, you think about that stuff a lot um, because, you know, you go as far as your seniors take you and your, your leadership in the locker room is so much more important than tactical stuff, practice planning, all of it's important. But if you don't have that leadership in the room, it's really hard to maximize your experience. Wow. Okay. That's a little, uh, little leadership 101 right there. Yeah. I don't know if it's a little deeper than you were thinking, but yeah, uh, yeah, I think about that stuff a lot. Cool. All right. So um, let's move on to, you know, why you um, moved into coaching. I know you got your master's degree from uh, George Washington University. And then at some point you, you, you made it to the Gunnery Boys varsity hockey team. Um, So maybe just tell us about, you know, how you uh, kind of went down the coaching path and, and that became a choice for you. Yeah. So I wish it was a, a better story, but the truth is, so I, I graduated college at 21, thought I wanted to be a teacher, uh, but was a kid still, didn't really know what I wanted to do. And, and an opportunity presented itself at Culver Academy out in Indiana. And uh, and in my head, I was like, all right, they're going to give me a place to live. They're going to feed me still through a dining hall. I'm going to teach a little bit. Let's do this. Right. So I did that and uh, coached while I was there with a guy named Mike Norton, who coached at Miami of Ohio in the past, was a really great mentor and great guy. And, um, you know, just really loved it. Like like you'd mentioned before, like I really had a passion and a, a, a love of, of the sport and a confidence with what I was doing within the sport. And so I wanted to, to see that through. And, uh, and so I did that for a year and, you know, loved the teaching and so on, but really loved the coaching part of it. Uh, after that year, you know, moved to Gunnery, uh, just made brought me closer to home. It brought me closer to friends who were Boston and uh, in New York. I was still a young kid at that point. And a couple of years in, so the first year I coached the JV team and uh, we were really bad. We were like one in 15. And I uh, got the call up after that to be the assistant on the varsity the next year. We were two and 30. So it wasn't a really hot start, um, but it really was foundational for you know, the, the good fortune and successes we've had since then. And, um, 239 wins, 28, 20 win seasons. So yeah. So like turned it around pretty well. I mean, part, part of it, part of it was like, I didn't want to feel that way again, to be honest. Like, like, you know, I didn't feel good for the players and the kids, uh, because we were losing games by touchdowns and, and I didn't feel good. Right. Like I was young and, you know, still super competitive. And, um, and so anyway, you know, after that first year as an assistant at Gunnery on the varsity, uh, my predecessor who'd been there a long time, you know, just kind of stepped away. He'd been there, done it long enough. And again, I was fortunate they asked me to do it. And so I did it and uh, took us a couple of years, uh, but we got it going. And uh, and then we kept it going and, you know, had a lot of success there. So 
so that's kind of the transition into the coaching piece. And, and honestly, like the shift from coaching prep and boys to coaching on the women's side uh, was really a, a matter of circumstance. You know, my family, we made a decision to move closer to home. Um, and, you know, I came in and, you know, there just weren't a ton of options. And so, you know, all of a sudden out of nowhere, I got a call from somebody from the old legacy sports that, hey, they're starting something in Rochester, you know, you might be interested. And so anyway, long story short, I got the chance to meet Kathy Pippi and all the folks at Bishop Kearney. And, you know, that was the transition into the women's game, which has been really fantastic. It's been awesome. Um, so, so I'm totally fascinated with like starting up a, uh, you know, a hockey academy for girls. Yeah. Um, so, so tell me just about the recruiting process for an unknown school, for a non-existent team um, yeah. to get people to move to Rochester, New York. Yeah. So first thing I'll say, not generic, this isn't like a press conference, it's the truth. Yeah, it was a collective effort, right? Kathy Pippi at the top of that effort, you know, her connections, the trust that people had in her to even look was the catalyst, right? And then it was on us as a staff, uh, myself, Julie Nur, the staff at BK, um, to, to really like, you know, create a vision. Uh, like this is this is what we are and, and who we're going to be and what we provide. And and here's how it meets your desires as a 14, 15, 16 year old young young woman with aspirations of you know playing division one, national team, all of that. Um, and so, you know, it, it was our ability to create the vision, to understand what the market wanted, and ultimately, and, and this is really sincere, like never waver from it. Right. It's the same thing when we when we were here at Nazareth was like we had a vision. The vision has to be realistic. Right. It can't be pie in the sky. And we were able to do that. And uh, and with BK's, you know, academic program, the dorms were being built. Uh, you know, truthfully, sometimes it's easier to sell the vision of what the dorm's going to look like than the actual yeah. dorm. In this case, the reality was the vision, which was really cool. Um, but um, but yeah, we uh, we were able to create that vision and and sell it with, with genuine passion. And, uh, and then honestly, like at the core of starting any program or at, you know, you're an entrepreneur, or any business, like you have to grind, like you, you have to be willing to outwork your competitors and you have to be willing to hear no a lot, uh, but not let it get you down. So, so that was our approach. And, and then from there, again, not to be too long winded, but you get a couple of kids, right? Like Caroline Harvey was the first to commit. And then we got you know, Zanon and the Coeens to commit. And then, yeah. so like, nobody really wanted to be the first. So thank God the Harveys were willing to be the first. Um, but then you start to get some, some kids and people are just more willing to say, hey, I want to play with these kids. This looks like it's going to go somewhere. Yeah, and, and you just mentioned all the names that, I, you know, off the top of my head that I was going to mention yeah. that have gone on to some really great things like, you know, Penn State and Princeton and obviously Wisconsin with, with uh, Caroline Harvey. Um, so you, you answered my question of like, how did you get, you know, the, uh, the bowling pins to kind of all fall the right way once you got the Caroline Harvey. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, so uh, as I mentioned right before we, we hit record, I, I did want to go in into a little bit deep about Caroline Harvey because um, yeah. I have watched a lot of her games and especially during your first two years. So actually it's more of a coincidence that I've been watching her already um, yeah. before you came on the podcast. And I've really saw her transition from where she started to where she was two years later. She was not the same player and she's certainly not the player she is today, you know, being on the Olympic team now, you know, rookie of the month, I think uh, two months in a row for uh, Wisconsin for in the WCHA. Uh, but when she started out, she had all the basic skills. She was very agile skater, 
very good vision, but she 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 wouldn't carry the puck that much. She she would be a very good passer, and she would stay at home and kind of just make the clean plays. But after two years, she was a different player. She was um, skating with the puck and not just passing, but not afraid to go all the way up and be a very you know what we see today in Kale McCarr of uh, the Colorado Avalanche. Um, so maybe just talk about her development under you and you know what it was you did as a coach to kind of help get her to those you know two or three different levels of her play. Yeah, yeah. So, so KK, uh, KK came in at 13. I think she was 13 years old. She's an eighth grader uh, at BK. And she was a 13-year-old kid in many ways. But when it came to her hockey development, she was mature beyond her years. And so not only was she wanting development, not only was she receptive to the coaching piece of things, um, there was that innate drive, like in the weight room, um, in video sessions, to really soak in everything. And then, like, literally think about it and transfer it into practice time, right? Like, she she wasn't a kid who just, you know, heard it, and then it took, you know, another however many months to, to implement it. She could hear something, watch it, and implement it right away. So the first part of the credit goes to her. Like, she's a, a really different uh, what, and I'd say unique personality in terms of her drive and, and really is kind of the, has become what I would think is almost like the prototype of the typical BK kid now, like very driven, very committed on and off the ice. Um, we were, we had one team, right? We had, we started with five D nine forwards. And so ultimately it, I think for her development, the ability to get a ton of ice time right away, play a lot, make mistakes, grow from those mistakes. And, and yeah, I would hope that she would think she would say that as a staff, we were supportive of her learning from those mistakes and growing. Um, but that's a huge part of it, right? They, especially in the women's game where I think there's sometimes a reluctance to make mistakes because you don't want to let your team down. You know, you have to create a culture as a coaching staff where that's okay. And the fun part of BK was we played 70 games. So if you made mistakes and we lost a game or two here or there, it wasn't the end of the world. It was truly about the development of the player. And so, you know, I think culturally we were able to say to her as the year went on, Hey, we believe in you, like take more of these chances with the puck, you know, be able to push the pace with your feet. You know, you're a good enough skater. If you turn it over, just get back. Like you're going to be able to get back. You're, you're, you're so fluid and so easy on transition that you'll be fine with that. And so I think it's all of those things combined, allowing her the freedom to make mistakes, her own drive. Um, and then I think it was, an, you know, enhanced even more as, as I left and Brent Hill came in and took over. You know, Brent's a, a, a hockey nut and a hockey mind. And I think he he allowed, again, he allowed that freedom for KK to uh, to try things and, and to, um, to, to make mistakes and grow from them. And, you know, again, I'll say this real quick is, you know, KK was also the type of kid who watched hockey. Like she watched hockey games. And so, you know, I think sometimes in our generation right now um, with so many devices and so many things for our kids, I don't know how many of the kids like watch hockey and try to emulate whoever it might be, right? From the women's game, from the men's game. And KK was, you know, invested in her own development, watching hockey and then trying to bring that to what she did uh, with us on the ice. That's awesome. So thank you for sharing all that stuff because I yeah. you answered all my questions about that. One thing which is also really interesting is, um, you know, I I only barely seen her a little bit on a few shifts during the Olympics and hadn't watched her that much because you know she 
um, there was COVID pre previous to that. Um, so when I started watching these games, I was actually surprised at how small she was, uh, especially early on. She was probably, at least when, when you got her at 13 or 14, you know, only 5'4 or 5'5. Five, five, and I think she, depending on which website you look at today, she's like somewhere between 5'6 and 5'8, but she's not very big. Yeah. Yeah, she uh, she was tiny when she got to us. We we would joke. So she was on the top of our our power play uh, with all young kids, and you know we we would try to work like it was like one three one. We try to work bump back plays where she could one time pucks. At that, she couldn't get pucks through. Like that was the she could see it, she could deliver it, she could. And now I watch her, and it's like the flick of a wrist, and the thing is like pew, right off her tape, right through, dangerous for a rebound for for a goal. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, that she just, she grew physically, right. She comes from some pretty tall parents, if you know her parents and, um, but the, the Academy setup for her of being in the weight room three, four times, like she ate that up. And if you look at her now, when I've seen her in live or, and said hi to her or seen her, you know, on TV, she's like really strong physically. And, uh, and again, credit to her because she owns her own development. Perfect. Perfect. All right. So we, we can keep going about uh, Caroline yeah. Harvey for a while, but we got to move on to, to Nazareth College. So maybe just uh, talk to folks a little bit about um, the school, the academics. I know that you have like 60 majors, small class yeah. sizes, about 2000 undergrad, maybe another 700 to 1000 grad students. It's in just outside Rochester and Pittsburgh, New York. So maybe just yeah. talk about the school and the academics. Yeah, for sure. So, so you covered a lot of it there. Um, you know, we have a, we have a pretty good niche within the market, right? We, the school rates, highly if you like look at ratings and so on it's you know top third of the division three schools here on the east um but our niche really is that you know we're, we're two things one we provide this intimate education of you know two thousand students i don't know 70 percent of the classes have 20 or fewer kids any kid who wants that intimacy of relationship with professor and you know being more than just a number it's a fit but what we also have is like, we're not rural. So we're literally, you know, 10 minutes from Park Avenue here in Rochester. And there's about 40,000 college students in Rochester total, four major universities. So they get this intimacy without being in a rural setting, like stuff to do on the edge of a city. Um, and we have Pittsburgh the other way, which is really, it's this beautiful canal village. So our location and the academic strength of the programs at NAS, uh, really helped us get this going right away because again in the women's game there's there's so much savvier about outcomes like how is this education going to get me to where i want to go physical therapy nursing liberal arts and they also you know the, the women we coach also they want a high-end hockey experience they want to be successful but you don't see a lot of giving up the academics for just good hockey at the division three women's level and so thankfully you know, reputation-wise, academically, you know, we're really strong, and we've got a beautiful campus. So all those things together, you know, have allowed us to to really build it pretty quickly. Okay, so let, let's move over then onto the hockey side. Uh, yeah. Talk about you know some of the facilities that you have, and then maybe also just talk about the conference that you play in the United Collegiate Hockey Conference. Um, you know, talk about the team, and then kind of how you play. Just just the uh, the, the basics uh, related to those things. Yeah. So part of you know part of the attraction for myself and our staff when we took over the program and, and was part of starting it was the investment that the institution made in our ability to be successful so like you've got a picture behind you of our locker room um you know we've got an entire area that makes us pretty unique we got a player's lounge leather couches 66 inch tv we got our, the locker room behind you which is also really beautiful 
um, there's a real uniqueness, even though we're in a public rink at Bill Gray's, we get private, we have a private entrance to our players. So we never actually go in the main facility. It really feels like your own home. So the school's really invested in our, you know, our success and given us the resources to, to be successful, which is, which is really cool. And it's, uh, it's a great experience for our kids. Conference, you know, the UCHC is a really good conference, um, continues to get better and better. Uh, you know, within our conference, you get Utica College, which is really good. Manhattanville, really good. Um, Stevenson, year in, year out, really good. You know, and then we just got a, a lot of parity this year. So, you know, like Chatham, we just played really hard to play against, really well coached. We go to Wilkes this weekend. They have a new coaching staff watching video on them. You know, they've been at the bottom of our league the last few years, but they have a good team. And I, I try to relay that to our players. Like this is a different Wilkes team. So the, the league itself is really good, but it's getting better, right? Like, like the, the hires that have happened, the new coaches that have come in are people who get it. They understand the grind. They understand how much they need to work. And they're really good at selling vision and, and selling our league. So you know, we love where we are. We love the league we're in. Uh, it's really competitive. We play 20 of our 25 games within the league. And then we're out of conference with Elmira, with Hamilton, with Williams. Uh, and then we'll play Bowden this year in the first round of the, the Codfish Bowl. So we really try to continue to bolster our schedule with our out of conference. And again, one thing I've learned in our sport is that, you know, our players, um, they don't want to lose, but they'd rather lose a 3-2 game than, you know, win, you know, without, uh, you know, without feeling the, the competitive nature of it. So, you know, we, we love that part of it. And, you know, our schedule and our league allow us to do that. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So um, uh, I actually been to Bill Gray's uh, multiple times uh, for, for Kathy Pippi events. And I was there a couple of years ago, as I mentioned to you right before we hit record. And then I, I was there recently. And what I noticed was they changed the configuration of the rink that the fans used to be able to go right up to the glass a couple of years ago. And now there's a buffer between the uh, stands and the glass. So I'm wondering, um, are your fans that rowdy that they now need to be separated <laughs> from you guys because they're just so rabid about the, uh, the women's hockey? Team. Yeah, they get after it, right? Like we've really cornered the uh, eight to 12 year old girls hockey market and you get those kids to your games, like they're getting after it pretty good. So last year, last year we had one or two panes of glass behind the bench that were not full size. So people could, it was like the old Montreal forum. If you remember that growing up, people could like lean their head over mid game and, uh, and talk to us or talk to the, say something to the players, whatever it was. So yeah, it gets, uh, we get after it. We got a pretty rowdy fan base. And if you listen, you know, we got some parents who bring cowbells to the game. We got grandparents. Who bring, we have, uh, we have good support. And, uh, and truthfully though, it really makes for a fun, a fun environment. It's really cool. That's awesome. Awesome. Okay. So maybe just talk about your coaching staff, uh, Zoe Pelowitz, who's your assistant coach, um, yep. and, and kind of just how you work together at both the, the development of the players and the recruiting side of things. Yeah. So, uh, really Again, truthfully, been blessed with two assistant coaches since we've been here. Rhea Code, who was here the first three years of the program, is now the head coach of the Buffalo Buttes. And now Zoe, uh, who's in her second year with us, um, is, is just fantastic, right? Like, the, the reality is, is, is I'm a 40-plus-year-old I'm a dad uh, who I think I still connect well with, with our players. I think I'm accessible and, and relatable and so on. But I also know who I am. And so Zoe, first and foremost her connectedness with our players, her relatability to our players is so important. Uh, her modeling to our players in terms of role modeling, 
so important. And so that is priceless for us in terms of, you know, the way that we, we craft, create, and develop our culture. Um, as a coach, also fantastic. Like, just was an all-league defenseman at Manhattanville, um, so understands that side of the ice really well, has the respect of our defensive core as they do skill sessions together, and obviously she hones in on their development. Um, and then from a recruiting perspective, uh, I, I second to none. Uh, her ability to create relationships with recruits, the connection that she makes with them on their tour and, and when they're here with us, you know, I can see it, right? Like we're sitting around a table and, and I can see how when they're saying something, they're looking to Zoe, they're looking at her because there's a sense of comfort and relationship with between the two of them. And that's, that stuff matters more than anything with this generation um, is that they need to know, you know, them and that you care about them. And Zoe's incredible about, you know, creating that type of, uh, that type of environment when we get recruits to campus. So, um, yeah, so it's good. We try to balance things 50, 50 to the best of our ability. Uh, God bless Z. She's also getting her grad degree. So she's taking classes, doing homework, um, doing projects. And, uh, and I'm really lucky. I'm really fortunate to have someone who's so committed uh, and, and work side by side with someone who's so hardworking and dedicated to our players. Awesome. Okay. That Great. That's that's great to hear about Zoe. So um, I try and work in one goalie question per podcast at a minimum. Yeah. So how, how do you help out your goalies and, you know, how do you help their development? Yeah. So we uh, we have a, a goalie coach, Shane Matalora, who played at RIT, coached at RIT, owns his own goalie school here, uh, here in Rochester. So he'll come in once a week and work with our goaltenders in a goalie world setting, stay for practice, give feedback, and is also willing to watch game film with them. Uh, so that's really our primary form of, of feedback for our goaltenders. Obviously, as you know, having coached for 20 plus years, uh, I certainly can and will give feedback to our goalies and, and be engaged and invested in, in their development. But the, again, I'm, I'm pretty transparent, realistic in that, you know, goalies speak a little bit of a different language. And so, you know, having someone who has played the position speaks their language is really vital for their development and their feeling of, uh, of honestly of like value and worth because obviously we you know you, you can't go very far without really good goaltending um we try hard like and this is really true like we we really engage our goaltenders about our practice planning like are we getting the, a, a, enough shots the right types of shots what do you need to see more of uh, because you know again i think a lot of times coaches you know at various levels can can plan practice without thinking about that and you know if you have a full day of structure and systems your goalies might see at two dozen shots, right? That's not enough. So you got to really, you have to be able to communicate with them and them feel comfortable communicating with you as a coach to say, hey, you know, hey, we need a little bit more or hey, we need a little bit less. Like, you know, we only got two goalies this year, a lot of volume of shots. We need a little break now and again. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. So before we move on to recruiting, uh, yep. last year you were 27 and two with a perfect 20 0 record in the UCHC. Uh, I know you swept your games against Chatham this past weekend. So, like, what, what are the goals for this year, considering last year was pretty darn good, other than the loss to Elmira in the, uh, in the, in the NCAA? Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, th this is the honest truth, and I think it keeps us centered um, is that our goal, our overarching goal, is to maximize our potential. And, and there isn't a tangible outcome there, right? We believe in ourselves. So we believe if we do that, the sky's the limit. Um, but it's really, we really focus in on a day-to-day -day process and trying to win the day. And again, I know that that's almost like Twitter worthy of sorts, but uh, but it is the truth and it keeps you centered, right? Like 
the past is the past. Like we are the group that has graduated here. Anybody who's played here in the five years, four years of the program has helped pour a foundation, a culture that we believe in and we love, right? It's a family driven culture. We play for each other. We love each other. Um, but now what we're going through this year and today is every, every, every part about it's unique. It's a different group that's in the room this year. We're going to live on what has been built, but now we're going to create our own unique kind of uh, outlook on it. And so the foundation's not going to change. We're going to be high compete. We're going to get after it every day. We're going to be hopefully tough to play against, um, but there's a uniqueness to this group. So uh, I love what we've got so far. We've got great veteran leadership with a lot of new faces. Those new faces are developing, coming along every day. Um, but there's a really good blend. And honestly, it's like as a coach and slash mentor to our players, um, it's just really cool to see our current captains and current seniors be able to take ownership of the leadership component. You know, when you, when you come into a new program in your year two, there's three full years of you following that first group, right? And you're kind of waiting for your opportunity. And, uh, and they've done such a good job with it. And, and honestly, speaking to the selflessness within our room, we've got two or three fifth years who, um, who willingly gave up letters on their jersey, knowing they're coming back for the fifth year to hand it off to those seniors. Like that, that to me is incredible, right? Like they're there to support, they're there to help lead. But that's a selflessness that I think permeates throughout our entire room and really is part of our culture. So, so that gets into kind of my next question as we start into the recruiting side of things is like, is that selflessness part of the characteristics that you're looking for? What, what do you look for when you're recruiting? And, you know, where is the off the ice stuff? You know, how does that play into it? Yeah, good. It's a good question. And I, I, I think you can tell I love talking about this stuff. Um, you know, the first part for us is really knowing who we are, right? We got to know, okay, what's our identity both off the ice and on the ice? And so to answer your question a little bit more directly, we're really clear with recruits in the conversations and then during the visits that we're looking for kids who, and these are really simple terms, but off the ice, they're kind, uh, they're optimistic, they're positive, they're selfless, they're trustworthy. You know, we believe that if we do diligence and we find that type of kid, that those are pretty low drama kids. Like those are kids who, you know, are, are really invested in the greater good. And so we really work hard to one, figure that out in the process, both through like talking to coaches and talking to people we know, uh, but also just getting to know the kid and, and really investing in multiple conversations, a long recruiting day. You know, they're here for multiple hours. We do coffee on campus with players, coaches, lunch, you know, the whole thing. Actually, before you before you before you you finish yeah. on that one, so tell me about actually truly rolling out a red carpet for people when they come. What's what's uh, my understand that you actually put out a red carpet for some players? Uh, I don't I, I don't know if you I don't know if we've ever actually rolled out a red carpet for players. We do have a carpet that says Nazareth on it, but um, I think it's more proverbial in that sense. But I'm always open to new ideas. If players want that, we'll roll out a red carpet for them. Um, I heard you may have done that in the, in the parking lot. You actually put out a red carpet for somebody. So <laughs> maybe that could be the case. Uh, but, uh, but I, I, I'll tell you, we, we try to, it's a 50, 50 when they come, like we try to sell them on us, but we try to get to know them as well. 
and uh and hopefully there's a real fit there and a match there but um but it's really funny that uh that you've heard of that um so so with that though like on the ice then we really we know who we are uh at the core of it we want kids who love to compete and we want kids who um you know have spirit to their game and then from there you know we look for other stuff hockey iq all the stuff that everybody else looks for um because in many ways you know we're all going after the same kid and so i go back to that original starting place with recruiting is like we know who we are and not in a not at all in an arrogant way, but like, here's who we are. If you want to be a part of it, we'd love to have you. If you feel like someplace is a better fit, that's awesome. And I jokingly say to kids, that's awesome. Just don't score, score goals against us when we play you, right? Like <laughs> be, be, throw up a donut that day. But, um, but if you're really at the core in it for the kid finding the right fit, you know who you are, you end up with the players who you should end up with. And, and, you know, it's a four-year marriage, right? Like, so we want, we want kids that we love to be around and they love to be around us. And it's a win-win for everybody. And and does it help to come from Alaska? Because I understand you try and have one player from Alaska every <laughs> year. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. That's a win. That's an absolute win. Um, we love our Alaskan recruits. We love our Alaskan players. Uh, we'll have four on the roster next year uh, with, with current commits for 2023. And uh, yeah, we love it. We absolutely love it. You know, whether it's, uh, you know, McKinley, who was at Culver before she got ears from Alaska, Swanee, uh, Sydney Swanson, and, uh, and, or now we've got Ski, Corsica, Skabinski. Um, we love our Alaskan players. And so, yeah, that bumps you up on the recruiting uh, depth chart if you bring, bring some Alaskan blood with you. Perfect, perfect. All right, so um, let's get a little bit more generic, um, yep. less specific to, to Nazareth, but how, how is recruiting for D3 different than D1 beyond just the NCAA rules? Um, because I, I'm assuming you need to be a little bit more patient because I'm assuming you're targeting players who you think are have the skills to play D1, but yeah. just for whatever reason, they're choosing to, to, to play at a D3 school. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, if you're talking about the highest level of D3 versus the highest level of D1, right? you're you're targeting different areas of of evaluation so you know the folks at wisconsin or whatever right they're they're going after national team players team canada team usa and and i do think that when you're watching yes you're watching for kids who fit your identity but you're watching for the absolute top players and the challenges there are you're all going after the top players and you know you're all given scholarships and so you really got to sell yourself but at the D3 level, I think one of the challenges is, first of all, one, identifying those kids who are that borderline Division One, high-end Division Three player. And, and then the challenge of, like, as you go through the process, trying to keep tabs on, like, where are they right now? Like, are you efficiently using your time going after the right kids? Um, because in the end, right, if you know a kid's going to go Division One down the road, you still want to be on that kid just in case, but, you know, you, you got to re, you know, kind of take a little detour to some other kids who might be a better fit for you. So, so the evaluation piece I think is really interesting and different. Um, I also think this is my own opinion. I got take it for what's worth, but, but what I found is like, you know, there's, if a kid, if a kid can make it to the D one level, they're more willing to like compromise some of the other factors of location or, um, you know, size of school, whatever it is. But once they've figured out, okay, I'm going to be a division three player. They're a lot more picky about our, the overall picture, the overall fit. And so, 
you know, I think that makes it more challenging for us in the sense that, you know, now we really got to hone in on kids who, like for us at Nazareth, physical therapy kids, we had an outstanding physical therapy program, nursing kids, top-notch nursing. I think we're third in the state for nursing. So, so you really have to be a little bit more segmented with, you know, kind of the, the kids that are really a good fit, who fit you also in terms of the talent perspective, and really hone in on those kids and sell those kids. So um, I do think at our level, if, if, again, I could be wrong, but our approach here, like, I think you have to cast the net wide. You got to go after the big fish and know that, you know, you might hear no from 90% of them, but the 10% you do get are going to be difference makers for you. Uh, and that means a lot, I think a lot more time and grinding, but I don't know. I think anything in life, if you're going to do it, you got to be willing to grind and you got to be willing to work. Uh, so, so I, I don't know if that answered it, but those are some of the unique nuances to it. Yeah, and I'm also curious, um, you know, uh, I know for like the high-end players, you know, the amount of time that the coaches spend watching, talking, learning, um, all that stuff is just off the charts. Um, you know, I, I had a coach tell me there are 130 days on the road just scouting um, yeah. and things like that. I'm curious at, at your level, how many times do you need to see a kid before you're, you're, you're sure that you, you want to invite them on campus? Yeah, so... At I think, I think the answer to that would be different for everybody. I'll give you my own answer on it. I think when we watch a kid, we, if we watch them once or twice, um, we have a real sense of the kid. The, the, like, players develop, but there are certain characteristics about players that stay the same. You know, you're not going to go see a kid who is high compete all over the ice one game and then just like non-existent the next. Usually that's a trait, a habit that's ingrained in them. Um, you know, you're going to see a kid with, you know, IQ decisions, like th that's a trait that you watch once or twice. You're like, all right, this kid, this kid has the mind for it, processes it well. This is a kid we want to get on campus. So, you know, I, uh, as much as I know kids develop, it's, I, I have found it to be rare that the kids you see, you know, junior year, winter of their junior year is a different player by, you know, winter of their senior year. Like they've developed, they've gotten stronger, maybe they do some things better but they are who they are. And so for us, it's really watching a kid a couple of times, again, knowing that they fit our, our brand of play, our style of play. And then we're pretty comfortable, um, you know, getting them to campus. Uh, again, my own opinion, I do think at the D1 level, it's probably a bit more nuanced. This pro you're probably splitting hairs a little bit more. Um, but at our level, you know, I think that, you know, you're, you're looking for traits knowing that there's, there's going to be parts of the game where they can grow. If there weren't parts where they could grow, they'd probably be division one players, right? Like there's something that's, you know, allowing them to be division three players. And so the question is, are you comfortable with that? Does that fit, you know, your style? And do you feel like you can help develop that in the player? Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So I got last couple of questions because I, yeah. I got to let you go. Yeah. Um, so the first one is, so given everything that you just said in terms of, you know, what, what are the characteristics that you're looking for? And then when you have an interest in a player trying to find the right match with, let's just say the, the degree program at, at Nazareth, um, what are the key factors that you think that you get players to commit to Nazareth? What, what, what are you selling them on? What are the key factors that they go? Yeah, that's the reason why I want to come. Yeah. Yeah. Um, besides the women's hockey program or, you know, in general. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that, well, I think one, it's, it's the program that they look to, to go into, right? It, it, is there a real match there? Do they feel like there's strength there? Um, I do feel like in, in our recruiting, one thing we found is that, you know, if they have friends on the team, 
that makes a difference. Like there's a trust factor when they're talking to that kid about the experience here and exactly uh, what they're about to get into, right? Like, you know, Coach Bauto's telling me this. Can I trust that this will be the case, you know, when I get there? And what's it like every day? Do you guys have fun? Do you enjoy what you're doing? What's the team like? That stuff matters. Like we have found that if we don't have a connection on the team already, it's a much harder uh, process to get a kid to get a kid to commit. Um, the other stuff, w w really, uh, I laugh I, when I say this, but I think it's the truth, is that for the player, so much of it is the gut feel. We spend a lot of time talking about, hey, look at the outcomes in this major, and hey, look at our location, and hey, let's go get coffee in Pittsburgh, this beautiful village. Like, But in the end, it's when they're on campus, when they're with us, when they're with our players, do they feel a sense of connectedness and belonging? Um, I think it's always been the case, but we talk about it more with this generation. When they're looking and when they're here, they want to feel like they belong. They want to feel like they're a part of something bigger than themselves. And they're willing to accept various roles within that as long as they feel like they're a part of it in some way, shape, or form that matters. And so we try to create that. And I think that ends up being a little bit of a gut feel for them beyond the tangible stuff that I talked about. I think that's an overriding decision maker for, uh, for kids. Do they feel like they fit in? That's awesome. All right. That's, that's, that's also great, you know, advice for say for yeah. them to think about what, what is it that they should be looking for when they get there when they, when they go visit any, any school. So, but that leads into my, my last question is what advice do you have for players who are trying to figure out where they want to play next year, especially if they're contemplating, you know, D1 versus D3, like they're, they're a bubble player for, for uh, either option. Yeah, that's a good question. And uh, again, I think it's really important for players to prospects, recruits, to reflect on what matters to them. And there is not a right or wrong to the following, but if, if it matters to you to play division one, even if it means, you know, a couple of years of being in and out of the lineup, uncertainty, that's okay. Like go do that. Like, you know what you're getting into. If a priority is you want to go somewhere where you can, you know, play right away and, and be a contributor right off the bat, okay, allow that to be your driver then. And maybe that means you end up at a different Division I program or a Division III program. Uh, but I think knowing yourself, and, and these should be conversations with parents, right? Kids with parents and trying to figure out the, the priorities of what matters. I think that really helps you figure out exactly where you want to be and where you're going to fit. And, uh, and there's a lot of options out there. But in the end, I don't think anyone should tell you you know, like you should do this or you should do this. Like when kids come to us and they say, you know, well, you know, I'm thinking about going division one and I might want to wait it out and so on. Like, God bless you. Like do that. Like, like we can't force your process. Now there's risk involved in any decision you make, but as long as you're aware of that, right. If you wait too long for division one and all the division three slots are filled right now, okay. You might kick yourself in the end. Right. But maybe you won't, maybe that like, that was your priority. So I don't know. I just think knowing your priorities as a family and then letting, you know, stay in the course with that, I think allows you to find the place that, you know, you, you feel like you're going to fit. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Chris, I literally could talk to you for another hour. I got like so many yeah. more questions that I, that I had yeah, yeah. that I could ask you. Uh, this has been awesome. I mean, 
hearing about your hockey history or the coaching background, but more specifically, like your philosophies and how you think about things is just yeah. really impressive and, and your ability to articulate them so well. Um, I'm sure that obviously helps you with your recruiting because obviously you've shown an incredible ability to recruit uh, um, at all the programs that you've been at. So I want to thank you so much for coming on the Champs App Podcast. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And again, if offline, if you want to talk more, uh, I love talking about this stuff. I could talk about it all day. Ask Zoe. I mean, she'll tell you. We have too many conversations about it, probably. But thank you. Uh, thanks for what you're doing as well with all of the podcasts, with all of the coaches. The more we get our game out there, uh, the more people know about it. It's such Women's hockey is such an impressive sport, growing at such a, a quick rate, uh, that what you're doing is, is difference-making. So thanks for that. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. And, and I should let folks know you do have a Champs app profile on top of your profile on yep. your, your website. So folks can connect directly with you and, uh, and stay connected and let them know uh, their updates with you if they're interested in Nazareth College. Absolutely. That'd be great. I want to thank Chris for coming on the podcast. It was great to hear how clearly he could articulate what leadership looks like on and off the ice, what he looks for when recruiting players, and of course, learning about the Nazareth College program. You can connect with Chris on the NAS team website or his Champs app profile via the links in the show notes. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Before you go, I wanted to share more about the app in Champs app. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know I spend a lot of time talking with coaches, parents, and players about the hockey recruiting process. One of the key questions that people want to know is, how does a player get noticed by college coaches? While there are many ways to be discovered, the easiest way to get on a college's radar is to send a coach an email and provide them all the information they need to assess if you are a player worth keeping their eyes on. That's where the app part of Champs app comes in. Champs app was designed based on all the conversations and feedback we received about the recruiting process, and we built a tool to help players and coaches connect with a ton of the information they want to know. It all starts with creating a free, beautiful Champs app profile. After that, there are some pretty magical things that can happen to help make the recruiting process a little less overwhelming. Your Champs app profile includes all the basic academic, personal, and athletic information coaches want to know. Then, by including video, schedule information, and your coach's contact details, colleges can easily start their evaluation process. You just copy and paste your personalized link and send it to coaches so they can see your public player profile without even having to log in or create a Champs app account. Or you can connect directly with coaches on Champs app. More and more coaches are creating their own Champs app profiles and connecting with players themselves every day. Now coaches can have all the information they need to assess where you might fit in their recruiting plans. Even better, college coaches can track your progress throughout the winter and showcase seasons because as you make changes to your profile, coaches will get notified to your updates. And in the future, we will be adding even more amazing features to improve your visibility to the recruiting process and hopefully increase your odds of success. If you wanna see what a player or coach profile looks like before you start your own, look in the show notes to see some examples. My kids and I have used Champs app for their recruiting process. In fact, my son was invited to a AAA tryout thanks to his Champs app profile. So go to www.champs.app and start your player or coach profile. It only takes about 15 to 20 minutes to complete most of your key information. Good luck, and please let us know how it helped with your recruiting journey.